Today we're kicking off a new series going into the new year called Living by Faith. And in Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you catch that? I live by faith. Everything we do in life is by faith, whether we realize it or not. Every time you use your cell phone, you are walking in faith that this thing is going to work. You don't, most of us don't know that this signal goes out into outer space and then comes back within two seconds and you're texting somebody or you can call or you use faith when you, you know, you're on the internet. It takes faith because you're really mad when it's not working, right? Because we're so used to it. But it's, it's still by faith. When you eat at a restaurant, how many know you're living by faith? You could get sick, but, but we do it anyway. We live by faith and trust. When you drive a car, when you got in your car this morning, you had faith that it would start. And you had faith that you would get here accident-free. And I pray that happened for everybody. On Tuesday, 20-something of us are going to get in a big airplane and those of you that fly a lot, this may not be as relevant to you, but those of us that don't fly that much, it's a big deal. You get in this big, huge craft, and we're going to fly from Denver to Newark, New Jersey, in the middle of the night. And then we're going to have a layover, and we're going to go from Newark to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Well, this big bird with this big jet engines is going to get us up 30,000 feet in the air, I mean, no bad things can happen at 30,000 feet if it's not working. And I've seen the beginning of Lost way too many times. But you're, you're, and then we're going to trust that this big bird is going to get us to and from. And yet, for some of us, that's, that's anxiety. You're up in an airplane and it gets turbulent. And woof, and the, I hate that. Flying into Denver is the absolute worst. They always warn you, you're going to get a little turbulence. We're flying into Denver. It happens over the Rocky Mountains. It does. You're sitting there trying to land, and the plane's doing this, and I'm like, please land safely. And uh, you do a lot of praying in the plane, but do you know that there are more people killed in donkey-related accidents than anything to do with aircraft on a yearly basis? I don't see anybody going up to the donkey going, ooh, you're really scary, man. I mean, guess if you were behind him and he kicked you, you could be in trouble. But here's the deal. Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Faith is our response to God and to his promises. When we walk in faith, we're walking in agreement with Jesus about who he is and who he says we are. We're walking in agreement that who he has promised to be for us. The importance of faith when it comes to our relationship with God, it is a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. God says, I will lead you. And faith says, I will follow. God says, I will feed you. And faith says, I'll eat. God says, I'll meet your need. And faith says, I receive it. There was a guy who, he went to a healing service at a church. And... Um, all this healing stuff was going on, and he wasn't sure about it. And 
Somebody asked him about how, how it went at this healing service, and he thought I was a little crazy, and he said, man, I thought it was nuts. And he said, even the fella in the wheelchair got up and walked out. There was an elderly lady, since that one didn't work. There was an elderly lady, and she used to sit on her front porch and be bold about her faith. And she would stand on her front porch, and she'd go, praise the Lord. Next door, there was an atheist who, that worked his nerves. And he would say, there is no Lord. She'd say, praise the Lord, there is no Lord. So one day, hard times hit for this little elderly lady, and she prayed to God to send her some assistance. And she stood on her front porch and she shouted, praise the Lord God, I need food. I'm having hard, a hard time. Please, Lord, send me some groceries. Well, the next morning, the lady went out on her porch and she noted a big bag of groceries. And she shouted, praise the Lord. And the atheist neighbor jumped out from behind the bush and said, aha, I told you there was no Lord because I bought those groceries. The lady started jumping up and down and clapping her hands and she said, praise the Lord. He not only sent me groceries, but he made the devil pay for them. That's better. That's better. So before we talk about what faith is, if we're going to live by faith, what, what is faith? What faith is not? Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Often we get this, this idea that it's just, well, I have no idea what's out there, but I'm jumping. There might be some elements of that, but really our faith is built on history, historical events of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the people of Israel, and so forth. So it's not a blind leap of faith. Faith is not just counter to that, not just an intellectual understanding of doctrine and theology. Faith is not getting God to do something that we want him to do or, or have him, do, Lord, do what I want to do in this. Because sometimes we pray those shotgun prayers and they're not answered and then people question God. I know a young man whose wife up and left him and divorced him and he wasn't a believer at the time, but he was raised in a Christian home, and he prayed for God to bring her home and to restore their marriage, and it didn't happen. She continued with the divorce and had moved on. Well, he said, God can't be real. He, I prayed for him to heal my marriage, and it didn't happen, so he can't be real. Well, no, that's not how it works. God doesn't make people do what they don't want to do. We participate in life. And so married couples, you're always at the mercy of the goodness and commitment of your spouse. It takes two to say I do and one to say I don't. This person can pray all they want, but until this person has a change of heart, it, it is what it is in that. So faith is not manipulating God. He's not the genie in the sky with three wishes. Faith as we're going to see, is learning to agree with God. So what is faith? Over the next few minutes, we're going to look through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 11 is considered like the hall of faith. 
You know, you have the Hall of Fame for baseball and football and other things, where people who, you know, had incredible careers. Well, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 is about the people of the Old Testament and the things that God was able to do in and through their lives. The author of Hebrews defines faith this way in verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is for the present. Hope is for the future. Faith faith is for what's going on now in real time. Hope is for the future. We're going to see how that's distinguished. Another way of of talking about faith is faith is seeing life from God's perspective. It's getting in that 30,000-foot view, or with God's view, the infinite view, where we say God's sovereign. He knows the, the beginning from eternity past all the way into eternity future. And he knows how he's working all things for good and for his glory. And we get to participate in that. So faith is seeing life from God's perspective. Throughout the chapter 11 of Hebrews, you see this phrase, by faith, so-and-so did X. By faith, this happened for this person. And so what I want to do is dig out some principles for living by faith that set the tone for this whole series that we're going to do to to begin the new year so that for your your life individually, you will walk in faith like never before in this new year in spite of circumstances, and that we collectively as a community are going to believe God for what he has for us and our impact on each other and in the community and the world around us. So we start with this. By faith, we believe. It takes faith to believe. To believe is in, in the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, to believe is a, a continual state of trust. It's not a one-time thing, hey, I believed back then. It's, it's a daily, I'm trusting God. It's a present tense. And here's the truth. Just like friendship Friendship is not true friendship until it's been tested by conflict. You guys have figured that out, right? You have a friendship, you get in a conflict, and you you persevere through it, that's a friendship. If it blows up because of conflict, I don't know if it was ever really a true friendship. Now, when it comes to faith, faith is not faith until it's been tested by life. Faith is not faith until it's been tested by the trials and struggles of life. The writer of Hebrews says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And here's what you got to hear this morning. It is not the size of your faith It's the size of the object of our faith that matters most. It's not the size, how much faith can I muster up to believe God for a miracle or believe God for that? No, it's, it's what's the size of our God? And he's enormous. 
and he's all-powerful. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Here's some mustard seeds. These are little itty-bitty things that you could put a thousand in the palm of your hands. He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Tuck that away this morning. There was a story in the Gospels where a guy had a daughter who was sick, and he brings Jesus to, to the situation, and he says, Lord, my daughter's sick. Um, will you heal her? And Jesus says, do you believe that I, I can do this? And, and he says, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? You ever been there? I believe, Lord, but will you help my unbelief? And, and Jesus didn't go, I'm not going to do it. If you're not all in and believe I can do this and you have any doubt, then I'm not going to do that. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Jesus just went on and healed him. He said, you got the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. It's, it's who your faith is in is more important than the amount of faith. God grows our faith over a period of time. We often get stuck into, I don't have enough faith. And I would encourage you to move that out of your vocabulary. None of us have enough faith. Read the Gospels. The disciples who saw Jesus do miracles and walked with him and saw, they still doubted after the resurrection. When Jesus went back to heaven, they said they worshiped him, but some doubted. I mean, we, we look back and think, what's it going to take for someone to believe? But yet he understands us. I remember uh, years ago, long time ago, when I was pretty much first a Christian, this year is going to be 30 years at walking with Jesus, so this was a long time ago, and I had a, a faith crisis where I was like, is this really real? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know everybody has thought, is this really real? How do I know? I've never been to heaven. I've never seen Jesus. How do I know? Well, I was in that position, and I had a, a mentor at the time, and I was sharing that with him, and he told me this story about another guy that he knew that said he didn't believe in God, and yet one night he was on his back deck, and he heard the guy going, God, I don't believe you're there. And he was like, well, why are you talking to him then? You know, you, that, that's what crazy people do. Like, you talk to people that aren't there. And he was like, God, I don't believe you're there. And it clicked for me. I do believe he's there. And that funk that I was in just was gone immediately in that moment. It's not about my faith. It's about who our faith is in. So we need faith to believe God for the big things, the miracles, the miraculous, the impossible. But you know what? You also need faith to persevere. Because we allow God to answer prayers as he sees fit. We don't make him or demand him to do anything. We, see, we put it in his hands. And there's also a faith for miracles, but as you see in chapter 11 of Hebrews, but there's also a faith to persevere. So if you're going through something today and, it, and your prayers haven't been answered in the time that you want them to be, keep persevering in faith. That does please the heart of God. Secondly, secondly by faith we follow and obey. By faith, we follow and obey. Faith is obeying when it doesn't make sense. Faith is obeying and leaving the consequences to God. That pleases the heart of God. Even when we don't get it, but we put into practice what he says to do, 
and leave the consequences to him, our faith is going to grow. It says in Hebrews 11:8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. If you know the story of Abraham or you don't know the story of Abraham, in Genesis 12, Abraham is called out of all these pagan nations, idol-worshiping nations, and God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm calling you out of all this other stuff, and I'm going to show you who I am and how I want humanity to live through the nation of Israel. And he told Abraham, look up into the stars. That's going to be the number of your offspring. Look at the grains of sand along the sea. That's the number of your offspring. Abraham's like, it's just me. (laughs) That's going to take a little bit of faith. And God told Abraham, I want you to go from here to the place that I'm, I'm taking you. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, obedience is putting into practice what God says to do or not to do. That's obedience. That's following, even when it's difficult. And when I think about the will of God, I think there's two aspects to the will of God. There's his revealed will, where he says, humanity, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to love. This is how I want you to forgive. This is how I want you to love me and love your neighbor. There's that revealed will of God that goes for everybody. But sometimes there is a second part of his will where it's an individual calling on your life, where God says, hey, I want you to leave this, and I want you to do this. Many of you have been through steps like this where God said, hey, I'm going to take your life from where you're at and I'm going to move you over here. So there's that second will where God has a specific thing that he wants people to do. I mean, that happened when we started the church. You know, it was moving from one thing to another, believing that God was calling us and that was his will. When it comes to the word sin, we can have all kinds of definitions, but I think the best definition of sin is a misalignment to the will of God, whether it's his revealed will or you know that it's his individual will for your life. Faith says, God, you know what's best. So I'm going to put into practice what you say to do, what's revealed in Scripture, what you've revealed to me through the Holy Spirit. Somebody once wrote this, sin will take you further than you intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to stay and cost you more than you intended to pay. That's so true. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Convictions, convictions that God's word is true. Convictions that God loves me and wants what's best for me and you. Whatever he says to do or not to do, Convictions are learned and earned. You don't just say, hey, to your kids, this is what God wants you to do, and they instantly go, oh, that's my conviction too. Have you learned that? Like, it does, it, it, it's grown. When we fail and we get our butts kicked by life, okay, God, I, I, think, I think I get it now. I, I, I'm convinced. That's what a conviction is. I'm convinced you know what's best. It takes time sometimes for especially a knucklehead like me to learn the hard way that God knows what's best. And so I've become a man of conviction that God knows what he's saying, but not everybody's always there. So not everybody's going to have the same convictions that you do. Let God nurture it and grow it, that it becomes rooted in our hearts. 
Third thing is by faith we receive power. By faith we receive power. I don't know about you, but I don't need willpower because I kind of suck at willpower, to be honest with you. Can you relate? I'm going to do this. I'm going to be disciplined and find myself going, I'm, I'm not disciplined in that area. We, I, need real power well beyond what willpower can do. Obviously, we participate in our wills, but we need a power that's greater than ourselves. Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power. The story of Abraham and Sarah, if you're not familiar with it, Abraham was called by God to, to create a nation. His wife, Sarah, they were old in years, 80s, 90s, and God promised them an offspring, and that their offspring was going to be the, the beginning of this inheritance of as numerous as the stars in the sky would be their offspring. Well, when, when Sarah couldn't conceive, they began to take matters in their own hands. They thought, okay, well, Abraham, take my maidservant, and that's how we, we'll, we'll fulfill what God said. Goes nine months, has the baby, and God says, I'm going to bless this baby, but this is, not the, this is not the promised seed. You, in your 90s, yes, look at each other and think, in your 90s, you will conceive a child. How many know that's going to take a miracle? But it takes power. And sure enough, they conceived. They conceived Isaac. Now, we just are coming off the Christmas season when we celebrated another miracle where a virgin con conceived a child through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember what Mary said, she said, after she was told she was, this was going to happen, she said, be it unto me according to your word. That's when you receive power, when you say, be it unto me according to your word, when we walk in faith. When I was in Bible college, I was pretty new Christian, year or two into this thing, I knew what God wanted to do with my life, and I went to Bible college, and uh, my dad had an insurance business that I was working at, I'd, I would work all afternoon, go to school in the morning, work with him in the afternoon, and their office was in my dad's, mom and dad's basement. Well, about that time, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer, and the doctor said, hey, this is pretty bleak. Um, think you should get your affairs in order. And it was scary. And she had a big tumor on her chest. And I remember I was listening downstairs doing some paperwork to a guy teach. His name was John Stalker. He's pastor of, was pastor of Resurrection Fellowship up in Loveland. I was listening to him teach and he was talking about healing and praying and, and you know, I'm, I'm a new Christian, so I'm just a sponge. Bring it on. I, I want to learn. And he said, you know, um, that because of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to speak life into situations into, for healing as the Lord wills. And he said, and you, you speak death to things like cancer and so forth. And I went, well, that's enough for me. I had my little mustard seed faith. And I went upstairs. My mom was in bed in pain. I said, mom, I want to pray for you. She said, okay. And I, I put my hand on her shoulder and I began to pray. And I was speaking life over her. And then I spoke death to the cancer. When I said that, she went like this and literally physically moved. And after I was done praying, I said, Mom, what was that all about? 
She said, when you said you spoke death, it felt like a thousand bee stings went right into my tumor. She said, I think God healed me. And like wise people, my mom went through the surgeries and the chemotherapy and, and all of that and was cancer-free for the rest of her life until she passed away a few years ago. If she was here today, she would tell you that God healed her in that moment, that that was the true healing for her. We receive power when we walk in faith. We receive power as we, we give that mustard seed faith. Feels like this often, and yet God honors that faith. I'm not saying every time that's the way it's supposed to be, name it, claim it, health, wealth. Heck no, am I not saying that. But God is still all-powerful, and he still can heal. He can do the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. By faith, we hope. That's the next thing. By faith, we hope. Hope is the confident expectation of God's faithfulness. It's the confident expectation that God will be faithful to his promises. It's not a wish when you blow out a birthday candle and you wish for a new Tonka truck when you're in the third grade. Because I did that a lot and it never happened. But it's a confident expectation. Hope and faith are so intermingled. Faith is for the present. Hope is for the future. They work hand in hand. Here's what it says in Verse 13, talking about these heroes of the faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They weren't looking for heaven on earth. They were looking for the fulfillment of the promise, ultimately. Many of them did not see what was promised to them in their lifetime. And many of us may not see what we felt was promised to us in our lifetime, but that doesn't mean God's not going to be faithful to fulfill it. That's the truth we got to hang on to. Our hope is in the future. Our hope is in what God has promised to be for us. Our hope cannot be in anything that can be taken away from us. Uh, Janelle and I and, and Joel and Kristen Diebel last Monday drove up to Superior we drove around where all the fires were in the neighborhoods, and it was, it was atrocious to see. The businesses were all shut down. They were evaluating the damage. It smelt really bad, and you just see the devastation. It was heartbreaking. And yet my thought was, our hope can't be in a house, a business, a building, uh, our 401K, our, our savings account, therein, <laughs> or anything like that. Our hope can't even be in people because people can be taken away. But you know what can't be taken away? Hope of eternal life. That no matter what happens, that when you and I die, we're going to go and be with Jesus. And he's going to set all things straight. That's what our hope is in. And then next, by faith, we risk. We risk. The Hebrews 23 through 40 is all about how people risked 
their lives for what God had called them to do. And I wonder for you and I today, is there a place in your life that God might be calling you to risk? Relationally, job, ministry, a calling. Where is God calling you to risk? Next week, we're going to talk about Peter walking on the water. And I want to give you just a quick commercial for next week. When you think about Peter walking on the water, it's the third watch of the night. Jesus tells them to go out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on the boat. And then in the third watch of the night, he walks to them on water. People don't walk on water. So the disciples didn't say, oh, it's Jesus. They thought it was a ghost because who walks on water? And as they re- Jesus says, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter, he takes a risk. The definition of risk is the potential of suffering harm or, or difficulty or whatever. That's what risk is. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come. And here's Peter. Picture him stepping out of the boat. like, Guys, I'm doing this. I'm in. And he's, he's walking and he's looking at Jesus. And he's, he's walking on water. All of a sudden he sees the wind and the waves and he freaks out. And he begins to sink. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and he grabs him. And he pulls him back in. And as he's pulling him back in, he says, Oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Now, don't quote me 100% that this is the way it is all the time. There are times probably where Jesus was stern about, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But I don't think that's paint a broad brush, because tell me the truth. When you and I read that, we think, oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? I know I do that. I feel like, you know, being shamed, but that's not our Jesus. Jesus doesn't shame. He never shames. I think maybe in this instant, when he grabs Peter by the hand and he says, oh, you have little faith, why'd you doubt that? He probably went, bro, (laughs) you have little faith. You just walked on water, my man. You're the second person to ever walk on water. Good for you. Stop doubting. Stop doubting. You and me and Bruce Almighty are the only people to ever walk on water. Just remember that. Jesus was astonished by little faith and by big faith. If you remember the story of the centurion, the Roman centurion, he asked Jesus, hey, would you heal my servant? Jesus says, sure, where, where do you want to go? And he says, no, we don't need to go anywhere. He says, I'm a man of authority. If I say somebody to do something, it happens. That's all you have to do. Jesus went, I haven't seen greater faith in all of Israel than what you just said. Lastly, by faith, we bless. By faith, we bless. By faith, Jacob blessed his children and his grandchildren. In the Hebrew culture, to bless is a big deal. And it should be a big deal to us to learn how to bless. To bless somebody is to pray and speak grace and favor and encouragement over someone's life. Speak grace and favor and encouragement. Speak to the dads and granddads for a second. Your son needs to hear from you 
that he has what it takes. When he hears that from you, son, you don't beat him down, shame him, but you say, you got what it takes. Get up. You got this. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Dad, you have the power of blessing. Grandparents, you have the power of blessing. And blessings are set in the tone of an identity for our young people to walk through life and to power through the trials of life because they got the blessing on their life. Parents, we need to bless our kids. Dads, your daughter needs to hear that she's lovely and lovable from you. Moms, obviously you play a part in the blessing of your children. Parents together intentionally bless your kids on a weekly basis with favor, encouragement, and grace. Let's speak a blessing over one another in this church this year. Guess what? Someone's going to rub you wrong. I don't know if that's happened yet or not in, in the church. Probably not in this church, but let's just say it has happened. Instead of groveling, talking about somebody, or building a case towards them, bless them. Bless them. Overlook and bless. Overlook and bless and allow God to work in lives. And then let's speak a blessing over the community God planted us in. We were planted here for a reason. We get to be a blessing to this community. When it comes to blessing, I see it in threefold. Number one, to be a blessing, you got to first receive the blessing. When God created Abraham and Eve, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. In Ephesians 1, we're told that because of Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms we've been blessed with. That means you and I lack nothing. Christ has shared all that is his with you and I. That's something to be very thankful for. So what do we do as we receive the blessing? We share it with others. You take it and receive it, you dole it out. Take it, receive it, dole it out. You're blessed to be a blessing. Then there's the graduate level of blessing, maybe the doctorate level of blessing. And that's blessing those who curse you. Bless those who do harm to you, who do not do good to you. That comes from the mouth of the Lord. That when that happens, we're to bless even those who we want to punch in the face. We are to bless. So let's enter this new year, this new season. I believe we're in a new season, season three. It's just happening right now. Let's walk in faith. Let's walk in, the, in this newness of life that God has given us. Um, I've asked Darcy to come up and pray a blessing for our church as we move into the future to see what God has for us. Um, Darcy prayed the original blessing over this building uh, five years ago. And, and as I was praying, I thought, ah, he's the right guy. Let's do it. He's the blessing guy. As Scott says, I am not uh, technically inclined even turning on a microphone. So, Lord bless him. Yes, please. Thank you very much. As we gather today in person and online to, to celebrate uh, the 10th year of Novation, little did we know how God would use Novation and the people of Novation to further his glory. But you know what? God knew. And Jeremiah 29.11 says, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. As novation goes forward, I have the honor to pray a blessing over our church and ask that you stand in agreement. Father, we ask that you pour your blessings upon Pastor Scott and Janelle and Pastor Mark and Becky as well as their families as they guide us and our children. We pray the following for Pastor Scott and Pastor Mark from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Bring your wisdom, strength, health, peace, and calmness to each of them as they lead us, teach us, and comfort us in your word. Lord, we ask that you bless the board of Novation as they steer the financial and spiritual direction of the church through your guidance. We pray the following for them from Psalms as well. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eyes. Lord, give them the discernment to do what is needed to guide your church in the manner that you deem right. And Father, raise up future board members so that when needed, they are ready to step up and lead. Father, we ask that you bless the leaders, the various ministries, all the home group leaders, and all the volunteers in Novation. Guide them, lead them in the areas where they are leading and volunteering. We pray from Hebrews as well, Lord. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Bless their time, their talents, their families as they give to your church in order to make Novation a place where all who enter feel welcomed and loved. Father, bless each household that is represented here and online. Bring peace to any and all situations that we may be experiencing. Bring reconciliation where needed. Bring healing and joy to all of us. Bless the young families of our church as they lead their children in your word. Bless the single people in our church as you prepare them for whatever you have planned for them. And bless those of us who have been around for a while. Let our love of you shine. Let our wisdom gain to be shared. And let our hope in you comfort all who enter here. Lord, bless this building that we have provided for your church family. Let it be a place that all feel safe and welcome. And finally, Lord, only you know what the future brings. And while there is much going on in the world that we have no control over, let us not despair, for your word tells us in John 16, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let us truly find hope in that. In the Son's precious name.
let your children and let children this favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children this presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening in your coming and your going and your weeping and rejoicing he is for you he is for you he is for you blessing us guys with that. That was amazing. Um, on your way out as you go today, um, put together a couple little bags of, some have a lot of mustard seeds, some not as many, but all, all you need is one, right? According to Jesus. But on your way out, Janelle has a little bucket and you t- I want you to take one, a little takeaway that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, put it in your Bible, put it next to a picture of somebody you're praying for, but just let this encourage your faith, that it's not the size of our faith, it's the size of our God in whom we we trust. Let's go away with that. Now, as the queen of France said, let them eat cake. All right. There are goodies. There's a little photo booth. If you want to celebrate that has the 10th anniversary of you and your family or yourself or whatever. And let's enjoy this. Um, 
little birthday party for Novation. There's lots of good little treats out there. Stick around, fellowship. But God bless you as you go. We're going to have some folks to pray with you. If you need something, you have questions, they'll be up here for you as well. Keep the DR team in your prayers this week. Thank you. Have a great week.